The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a pilgrim on the path? 
And how do I become a Christian? How do I engage with the God of heaven in such a way that I can be a Christian? Well, you need to know right up front that the word Christian was first used in a place called Antioch, and it was a term of scorn, of derision. It was not a compliment to be called a Christian because the word in the Greek for Christian means Christ follower. So how are you to be a Christian? Well, you begin to follow Jesus Christ. In the early church, before Antioch, they were not called Christians. They were called people of the way. People of the way. So let's be clear today about how one begins to engage in being a Christian. Now, the popular church would like us to believe that you become a Christian by going to church, and that is important, but that's not how you become a Christian. The modern church would say that if you will accept Jesus as your Savior, you're then a Christian. No, you're not. That's a fable. That's not how you become a Christian. So, how do you become a Christian? Paul answers that question in the book of Galatians. He says, If while we seek to be justified in Christ, oh, there's the first key. There must be something going on in our heart that says, I need a Savior. I need to be changed. My life is not working. There has to be something more than what I'm experiencing. And so there comes into your heart a seeking. You want something. Genesis 3.15, the promise was that there would be enmity or hatred between you and the serpent or the dragon or evil. Not a lot, just enough to open the door that if you decide to leave your darkness, you decide to leave behind your wickedness, you begin to seek in your heart and say, there has to be something more. And as you begin to seek to be justified, again, dikasune, it means as you seek to be made innocent. In other words, becoming a Christian is not about, wow, I'd like to add all of those wonderful benefits to my already full life. Yes, I'll accept Jesus. No. No, that's not what it's about. It's about you saying in your heart, I'm sick of this way of life. I'm sick of waking up in the morning with a heart that is broken. I'm sick of walking in this lying and cheating and stealing and drugging. I'm tired. There has to be something more for me. And now you seek to be innocent. That's where it all begins. It's a work of the Holy Spirit as he moves in your heart. 
He begins to call you into something more. You're tired of the cheap trinkets of the devil. You're tired of Vanity Fair, as John Bunyan puts it in Pilgrim's Progress. And by the way, I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining today. I think you're going to hear some things that will open doors for you. I urge you, listen carefully to this entire message. It will be life-changing for you. When you want to be changed, the door is opening that Jesus can meet you. The Apostle Paul says, If while we seek to be made righteous in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. In other words, this change that is going to take place in your life is a change that removes sin from your life. It makes you innocent, not not on paper. It's not positional. It's not imputed. There is something real that is going to change and transform your life. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. So now we know that if you're going to be a Christian, there is a crucifixion involved. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. It does not say, and Jesus never said, if you want to be a follower of mine, accept me as Savior, and then you belong to me and you are saved doesn't say that. It's only the lying modern church that teaches that filth. It's not real. And then the person says, oh, I'm saved now, and then you become very religious, and now you are vaccinated against true Christianity. That's where most are today in America. There are very few true and honest Christians in America. There are very religious people in America, but most people in America believe in a false righteousness, an imputed righteousness, a positional righteousness. What I'm going to teach you today is how to become truly righteous, how to be a Christian, how to walk clean before God by the power of of the blood of Jesus, not in pretend clean, but in real clean. The work of Jesus was to destroy the work of the devil. The work of the devil in you, in me, in us. So Paul wants to lay out very plainly at the very beginning of any discussion of how to be a Christian by saying, look, I have been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The cross, crucifixion, is an instrument of execution. It is an instrument that causes us to die. And we are born from above, new creatures in Christ Jesus. We are changed. He says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by absolute 
absolutely being convinced that Jesus will do and is doing in me what he promised he would do, crucifying me, changing my heart, making me into a new person. I gave I gave myself to him to be crucified. I gave myself to Jesus that I could be crucified and resurrected as he was resurrected and be made into a new creature so that I could be innocent before him. He says, The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If I can gain my righteousness by doing good things, if I can gain my righteousness by somehow white-knuckling sin, if I can gain my righteousness by somehow living my life on my terms and just adding a pretty little make-believe Jesus to my life, then Jesus died in vain. If I call myself a Christian and continue to walk in sin because he has the power to pardon me for my past and my present and my future, but I'm not transformed and I continue to walk in my sin, it is a false savior. It is a false salvation. It's trickery. It's lying. Jesus cannot look at you and say, I don't see you, I see myself. That's lying, that's cheating, and God will not do that. We must die and be born from above. John 3.16 The flesh says, as Nicodemus did, how can that happen? How is that possible? Well, that's what I'm going to explain to you, how that can happen and how you can begin to experience this in your life and be found washed and clean and changed and transformed into a new person. It's called the gospel. But remember, as we walk through this, it involves a crucifixion. And I'm going to tell you today how that crucifixion takes place. It's not something you do to you. It's something Jesus does to you. But how does he begin doing that in your heart and in your life? Let me read on. The Apostle Paul, power, you have turned aside from the power of the Spirit, and now you are very religious, but you have no salvation. Now watch. Have you suffered so much for nothing? Verse 4, Galatians, the third chapter, verse 4. Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Now, let me unpack that just a little bit for us, and then we're going to get down to some very core understandings of how we become a true follower of Jesus Christ. 
He says, have you suffered so much for nothing? In other words, as you desire, as you seek to be justified, to be made righteous, to be transformed, to be filled with Christ, to be formed, have Christ formed in you, as you eagerly desire these things to happen in your life, as you eagerly, eagerly desire to leave behind the wickedness, the fornication, the lying, the cheating, you are going to engage in suffering if you make a decision to cut off the lying and cheating of our culture in its entertainment. If you decide to cut the movies off and cut the television off, you will go through a time of withdrawal as from a drug, and you will suffer. As you make a decision to no longer love the world, the flesh, or the devil, to turn aside from all wickedness, you will begin to suffer. And Paul is saying, have you suffered for nothing? Did you turn away from that and and have the pains in your heart as you cut off wickedness? Was that for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? A normal Christian will expect every day miracles of God. A Christian will expect the supernatural. It will become a normal part of your life. I'll explain how in just a moment. Stay with me. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? In other words, do you have to work very hard and deliberately on improving yourself and cutting off this sin and that sin in order to receive the Spirit? Or do you receive the Spirit by believing what you heard? Well, what did you hear? You heard the gospel. Now, let's be plain what the gospel is. It is the good news. It is brought to us by the apostles. The apostles, the word apostle means messenger. Coming from the Sanhedrin, the governing body, a judicial body that decides your fate. And an apostle would be sent from that judicial body to deliver to you the verdict. To give to you the verdict. The gospel is the good news that the verdict of heaven is that the devil has been defeated, that Satan is defeated, and a way has been opened for you to enter into Jesus Christ. Now, how do you enter into Jesus Christ? It's here, but you have to carefully look at it to understand. He says, have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Obviously, it's because you believe what you heard. Well, what did you hear? You heard that Christ was risen. You heard that Christ was crucified and risen on the third day. You hear that 
God has now opened a way for you to enter into the divine nature. Well, how do you enter into the divine nature? A Christian is a person who has been crucified with Christ and who has entered into the divine nature of God transformed, changed. And now, on the road, on the path, on the narrow path toward heaven. So, let me share another passage of Scripture with you, and this will begin to open the door for what we need to look at today to understand how to be a Christian. And I know it's so simple that you may have missed it. But it is the absolute key to entering into the divine nature. Without this simple key, you cannot enter into the divine nature. There is only one way to enter into Jesus Christ. And it's not works of the law. It's not self-discipline. There is only one way to enter into Jesus Christ and into his crucifixion, and into the path, and into salvation. There's only one way. Now, you've heard, as I have all my life, the way is Jesus, and he is the way. He is the path. He is the rock. He is everything to me. But how do I enter into Jesus? Let's make it very simple. So simple a child can understand. Let's read it. Second Peter, the first chapter, let's begin with verse 3. If this passage of Scripture is not underlined in your Bible, I urge you, underline it. Mark it off. Go back to it. Study it. <clears throat> this is the way we enter into Jesus Christ. It says, speaking of Jesus, his divine power. His divine power, dynamite, explosive, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Pardon me. That word knowledge in the Greek, it means where the rubber hits the road, the practical understanding of how this works. You get your new cell phone. It has all of these new apps that you can use. It has these new ways of programming. You have to learn which buttons to push and and where to go and, and how to set your phone up and how to... Well, it's knowledge you seek. And someone can explain it to you and you'd say, oh, I got it, I got it. Or if you're very intuitive, you can just go on and begin to play with it, and soon you'll understand it. It's knowledge is how things work. One of my favorite books is a book on how everything works. Well, today I'm giving you the knowledge of how it works for you to become a Christian. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life 
and godliness. The word godliness in the Greek literally means to rightly worship, directed confession of dependence, godliness, to be like God, to be like Jesus. And so his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, to live without sin. And through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So he's saying, look, everything is given to you so that you can live a godly life. Everything is given. The power of God, the explosive dynamite power of God has gone off at the cross. And now he has given to us from the cross everything necessary for us to live our life on this earth and to live it in a godly manner, righteous and holy without sin. Now the question is, how do we access the power of God? How does the power of God become active in our life? All of us have lived with so little power. I have I've sat before the Lord and wept so many times over my lack of, of power, my lack of godliness. And it wasn't until I began to understand this passage of Scripture that I'm sharing with you in, in Second Peter, the first chapter, beginning in verse 3, that I began to catch on. And when I caught on to this truth, it changed my life. Here's how you, here's how you begin to enter into and gain access to the dynamite power of God to live your life in a godly manner, a righteous and holy manner. It says, through these, his glory and his goodness, he has given to us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The world is utterly corrupt, and the evil desires of your heart spring up and lead you astray and cause you great bitterness of heart and sorrow. How do you escape them? How do you begin to live in such a godly manner that you're worthy of entering into the kingdom of God. How are you to be a Christian? How do you become a Christian? By crucifixion. But how do you enter into the crucifixion? So many times people have used these code words, but they've not made sense to me or to you. I'm telling you today, here's how you begin to enter into it. Through these. That is his glory and goodness. He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. How do we begin to tap the power of God to live a godly life? Through his his great and precious promises. The only way 
you can access the power of God is through the promises of God because he is a covenant-keeping God. The only way you can become a Christian, the only way you can be crucified is by faith in his great and precious promises. Well, what are his promises? And how do we begin to access them? And and why is this the only way? Well, because when you get a hold of a promise, a promise is something he will do for us. It is something we must take, we must receive. God begins to get a hold of your life and change you into his likeness. It's almost like a handle on your heart. The handle that God can grasp in your heart is when you take a promise and own it. Now, usually, and I wish you had been there last night as a dear brother, David Sampson, began to explain his understanding of this. I wish he were here with me on the radio right now. David explained it in a very simple way, explained it this way. That when we take a promise, God takes a hold of us. We grab the promise and God grabs us. We begin to stand on that promise, believing that God will do what he said he would do. And then suddenly we find that the promise has transformed and the promise is now standing on us. I've experienced this so many times in my life. I'll give you an example. Let me turn. Oh, there's so many. Let's go to Mark. Just praying and saying, Lord, is this where to go? Yes. The book of Mark. Mark 11. I'll begin with verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. It will be done for him. At one point in my life, I was single. I was becoming hopeless and despondent. I was doing my work as ministry, but my heart was so hungry and seeking after Jesus, and I didn't know how to get there. And I read this promise. And I said, okay, God, I'm going to set aside an hour every day to pray for my wife. And I'm going to stand on this promise in Mark 11, 22. And I'm going to read this promise aloud to you every day until you answer me. And so I would get down on my knees. Oh, and I promised the Lord I would give him one hour. 
And so I got down on my knees, I set the alarm clock for one hour, and I began to pray this promise. I read it aloud to him. I said, Jesus, your word says, have faith in God. All right, I will place my faith in God. Then you said, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. I'm going to stand now believing that you are going to send me my wife. You says it will you said it will be done for me if I believe it and I don't doubt. So I began to pray that prayer. Day after day after day, I went into my prayer closet at ten o'clock in the morning. I got down on my knees and I read this simple promise. And I said, Lord, you have to answer because it's your promise. I'm standing on your promise that you will give me the wife you have chosen for me. Well, what happened was historic in my life. It began a whole new journey because suddenly God had a handle he could grab a hold of in my heart and he could begin to press me. And I learned something so precious that when I come to God with my agenda and I have a promise of Scripture to stand on, suddenly the position will be changed and God will begin to deal with me with his agenda. Notice, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Well, as I prayed this promise day after day after day, it became very clear to me that I was quite angry with a fair number of people. And the Lord gave a condition to answering this prayer. And the the condition was, as you're praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. My sin stood in the way of God answering my prayer. And so as I took this promise and I made it mine, and day after day I went back into that prayer closet asking God, even, yea, even demanding of God that he answer this promise and give me the wife that I wanted, Or I said, your word's no good. It's not true. It's false. No, I don't advise going there. But that's where I was at that point in my life many years ago. I took the promise of God and I stood on it. And then Jesus began to convict my heart of the people that I was angry with and had cut off in my life. And that's when he told me, make a list of everybody that you're angry with. Go through that list one by one, bring them before me, and release them. Forgive them. Well, I had quite a list. 
and I had to begin going through that list one by one. The promise was standing on me now. God wanted His agenda accomplished in my heart. And before He could do for me what I was asking, the anger, the root of bitterness in my heart had to be removed. I had to forgive people who had cheated me out of thousands of dollars. People that I'd loaned money to who had never repaid. And the Lord said, don't ask them again. Forgive them. Write it off. Lord, $15,000, I write that off? Yes, write it off. Forgive them. You owe me much more than $15,000, Ray. Oh, yes, I do. So the work went on day after day of dealing with every person who had hurt me. I was standing on the promise, and the promise was standing on me. I was entering into the divine nature as God disciplined me regarding my bitter anger toward others, my self-righteousness toward others, my defensiveness toward others. There is nothing uglier in the heart of a man or woman than defensiveness and self-righteousness. It is putrid before God. Before God would answer my prayer, and bring me the wife I so desired. He said, this bitter root must be removed from your heart. And I finally, one day, came through and said, Lord, I have forgiven everyone who's hurt me. Now I stand by faith that this mountain of anger is totally removed from my heart and from my life. I have forgiven everyone. If there's anyone I've missed, please bring it to my heart and my mind, and I will immediately forgive them. It's done. It's finished. I hold no grudges against any person. And the Lord said to me, Now, who have you hurt? Make another list of all the people that you have hurt, that you have spoken harshly to, that you have judged. And I want you to go through that list, and I want you to make restitution and repentance to every person that is available for you to make things right with. And I said, oh, Lord, don't ask me to do that. That's going to kill me. He said, that's right. I want it to kill you. It's called crucifixion. Where I have to eat my humble pie. Where I have to make right everything I've done to others. It, it involves paying some people back. Money they had loaned me. It involves some people that I didn't speak to anymore that I'd written off. It involves self-righteousness. How do you become a Christian? 
by recognizing that you must believe the promises that God has given you so that you can begin to enter into the divine nature. You cannot enter into the divine nature without the promises of God. You must have an expectation of miracles in your life. You must have the expectation of being totally delivered from darkness and set free from every oppression. You must believe that Jesus is the power to deliver you, the dynamite power to set your feet on the narrow path, to bring the joy and release from guilt into your heart. You must claim a promise. It must be a promise. You stand on, and then that promise must stand on you as God does the work of cleansing and purifying in the area of great need in your heart. So I had to forgive so that God could forgive me. Because God gives us promises to make us whole, to wash and make us clean by his blood. Look, being a Christian is not a philosophy. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is being washed and made clean. It is Jesus coming into your heart and your life. It is Christ being formed in you. How does that happen? By accessing the promises of God. And that will involve a crucifixion. For that promise will be the means by which God can get a hold of your life and begin to transform you into his likeness. And many of you listening to this broadcast today are standing on no promises. You have no promises. If you have no promises, you have no divine life flowing in your heart and your life. You're dead. You can only access the divine nature through the promises of God. If you don't have the promises of God to stand on, you're standing on your own works. You're under the law. Without promises, you're a dead man. You're a dead woman. Nothing's going to happen for you in your life. It's over. And please, you will not find any promises on the television. You'll not find any promises to stand upon in the entertainment of this world. You will not find any promises to stand on at work. You will only find the promises of God in the scriptures. And as you read the scriptures, and you read the promise, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to quicken that promise to your heart out of your great need, out of your desperate need, the Lord will begin to get a hold of your heart. He'll begin to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. Now, all the promises you're not going to like. I'll give you a promise that has transformed my life, a promise I did not ask for, and I was not happy when I read it. 
but I'll read it to you. In Isaiah, the 41st chapter. Let me read this for you. I'll begin with verse 13. Isaiah 41, verse 13. For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and saves and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Oh, I like that part of the promise. Many times I have taken that promise to God. And I've said, Lord, it doesn't feel like you're holding me by the right hand. And it doesn't feel like you're helping me. And my heart is filled with fear and terror. Would you take my right hand? Your word says you will take my right hand. Will you take my right hand? Would you do it now? I know all of your promises are yes and amen. Now, I want to enter into the divine nature in a much deeper way. Jesus, will you draw me in? I'm terrified at what I face. I don't know how to deal with it. Would you help me? Fear used to be the driving element in my life. I was terrified in my inner being. On the outside, I looked like I had it together. But in my heart, I was terrified. Verse 14. Do not be afraid, O worm, Jacob. (laughs) O worm, Jacob, O heel grabber. And I was such a heel grabber. Grabbing every opportunity to advance myself and my career. And the Lord rightly called me a worm, Jacob. But then he gave me hope because he said to me, O little Israel. In other words, I had a little overcoming in my life. I wasn't all worm. I had a little overcoming in my life. And then he said to me, and I'll give you the date when he said this to me. It was 1990. In 1990, he said this to me. I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now, here's the promise I was not excited about. See, I will make you into a threshing sledge, new and sharp with many teeth. You will thresh the mountains and crush them and reduce the hills to chaff. You will winnow them, the wind will pick them up, and a gale will blow them away. But you will rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel. For many years, I was simply a people pleaser. I just wanted to keep people happy. And the Lord said to me, Enough. No longer are you going to be a people pleaser. I'm going to make you into a threshing sledge. You're going to be separating the wheat and the chaff. You're going to be preaching and teaching with sharp teeth. Lots of sharp teeth. 
you're going to crush the mountains. And you're going to reduce the hills to chaff. That is a promise of being a part of those who will prepare the way of the Lord for revival. That's what I do on this broadcast. I come and confront you and say things to you that probably no one else has said to you. Many of you listening to this broadcast today are a worm. Jacob, a heel grabber, always going for what you want, living in your own life. But you also have a little overcoming. That's how I was. And I said, Lord, I don't want to be a threshing sledge. He didn't answer. Now, David Wilkerson, the pastor of the Times Square Church, the founder of the top rehab program in the nation for drug abuse, Teen Challenge, a mighty man of God. He's now gone on to his reward. He was my pastor. I loved him with all my heart. I would often go to New York City and sit with he and his wife and his staff and talk and pray. One time after the sermon was finished, the message was completed, I'd gone down into the I'd been on the platform with him. I went down into the main sanctuary to collect the people who I'd brought with me. And I saw him kneeling on one knee at the edge of the stage. And when he caught my eye, he waved me to come over to him. I went over. And he shook his finger in my face. And he said, preach the judgment of God. And just the way he spoke, preach the judgment of God. And then he said, but preach it with mercy. I knew exactly what he was saying. I said, sir, I will obey. I know it was the word of the Lord to me. I'm not to come and preach my wrath. I'm to come and preach the judgment and wrath of Almighty God. And I'm to do it with mercy. So he's made me into that threshing sledge, new and sharp. How do we enter into the divine power of God? We enter in through his great, and precious promises. One of the promises that I have stood on is found in Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with him. How many times I've come to this radio after being in the prayer closet, weeping before the Lord. That as I sow, 
the word of God. There will be a great harvest. I don't see that harvest now, but I know I will because the Lord said, I would return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with me, the lost, saved, the Laodicean, transformed. I stand on this promise. It's the promise of God to my heart. Or I stand on Psalm 27. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, for you have been my helper. I pray today's been helpful to you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I pray every day for you, for each of you who listens. I ask now the Lord would give you a promise to stand upon, that you could access the divine nature and be filled with the presence of God. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you dearly. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.